From the moment I met Adam Green, I knew he was a very special kind of weirdo. It would have been early 2001. Adam was just 19 at the time, and undoubtedly wearing either a sailor uniform or a Peter Pan costume he'd made, and performing with his band, the Moldy Peaches, around town in NYC. We've become dear friends in the years since then, and he's been a fascinating person and artist to observe up close. In the past decade, he hasn't been putting out as much proper solo music, but he's been doing all sorts of other interesting things, including, for instance, adapting Aladdin into an ambitious film project involving a lot of papier-mâché and a lot of very cool special guests. He also did an iPhone-only movie called The Wrong Ferrari that is trippy as hell. Adam is trippy as hell, but it was interesting to get to talk to him about how he regards his songwriting process as being a way to translate some of those trippy-as-hell urges that are uniquely his own. Also, this episode features an interview with Jennifer Harima of Royal Trucks, speaking of weirdo heroes of mine. Uh, That'll come up in the later part of the episode. But first, a conversation with Adam that we recorded just a little bit earlier this summer. His new album, Engines of Paradise, is awesome, perhaps his best. It'll be accompanied by the graphic novel, War in Paradise, and arriving in early September on Danger Mouse's 30th Century Records. And uh, yeah, I just also want to mention that uh, we recorded this just long enough ago that David Berman um, of Silver Jews and Purple Mountains had not yet passed away. So you'll hear us reference Berman as though, um, oh my God, it's so sad, but as though he's still alive. So I kind of apologize for that in advance, but it is also sort of interesting. Anyway, where we begin here with Adam, uh, he's gotten really obsessed with perfumes and colognes in recent years, and I wanted an update on that from from the jump. So let's get into it. Yeah, what's what's the? Are you still on your quest to figure out what David Bowie allegedly wore? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to ask uh, Iman. Right. You know, I mean, if anyone knows, if anyone Iman, knows. maybe like she could tell us what David Bowie wore because. Um, you know, uh, well, I mean, to backtrack, so the people who are listening, yeah. it's like, uh, so I got into um, this world of perfumes, and the, the the way I got into it was uh, originally because Albert from The Strokes, who's a friend of ours, um, he went, uh, the, the Strokes played a concert with David Bowie or something, or maybe he was backstage in the dressing room, or for yeah. some reason, to me, this, this 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 happens at Roseland. That's like the memory. Right. They're in the dressing room of Roseland. I'm not I even there. I think he might have gone to see them play. He just saw them play. Yeah, okay. I think he might have gone to see them play. I hope I'm remembering that yeah, correctly. Yeah, so I'm paraphrasing awesome. this story. But that, <laughs> the only it's not really a story. It's just that he was backstage and Albert gives him a hug or something and, and is struck by his, his smell. And he said that he, he was the best smelling person that he'd, he'd ever smelled in his, his entire life. <laughs> Um, and, and trust and, me, Albert smelled some people. He smelled people. He knows. He knows <laughs> about the finer things. And, anyways, this story was that that could have just like been left alone. But the story was co- corroborated. Is the word? Is it yeah, corroborated? Corroborated by a lot of other people. And when he died, um, like the Arcade Fire and different people were like giving interviews, uh, and they were saying, by the way, you know the way that David Bowie smelled is like the most distinctive thing about you know that he was like he was incredibly. Right. Yeah, the thing you yeah. notice if you meet him, you notice it, sort of. Exactly. Right. You know. So then, I was like, "Well, why doesn't anyone know what it was?" And a few of the people said that it was Silver Mountain Water, which is like a really expensive uh, fragrance. I don't think, based on the description I heard about it, that it yeah. was Silver Mountain Water that he was wearing that Albert smelled on him. Right. But that was maybe something that he wore. I think he wore a lot of things. Right. You know, he he said apparently he wore the fragrance called Minotaure. Uh, which is kind of like a sandalwood uh, citrus smell, kind of like a creamy, like citrusy sandalwood. But I don't think that that sounds like what this was, because apparently, like in the description you read, I think it's the Arcade Fire said it. It was very uh, smoky. I mean, and you've gotten really good at like f- at figuring out what smells like, because you, you were already interested in fragrances a little bit before this particular tangent of it. Yeah, I was interested in. I mean, I'm interested in like everything a little bit, you know. And this is just one thing I'm I'm interested in. But you know, I, what this I mean? is like, one thing you're interested in a lot. I, I might just tell listeners, as I say, last time I was here, I got to smell some of the fragrances that may or may not have been what David Bowie wore, and there are uh, many of them that Adam has collected in drawers in right. his bathroom um, because you do are fascinated by this. Definitely. And it smells wonderful in here, oh, right here in your thanks. home. 
as a result of proximity to many scents David Bowie might have worn. Who knows? You say that you are interested a little bit in a lot of things, which I think is an understatement. You seem to tend to be kind of immersive more than you know a lot of people when you are interested in something i wonder what was the first thing as a kid that you felt like nerd that you nerded out on yeah you know maybe like uh computers or i was into like uh trying to learn how to program like computers and like this computer language called turbo pascal okay and uh basic which is like an early computer language and you know video games and stuff how old were you when you got into that uh maybe like I don't know, like 11 or 12. Okay. Um, and then, you know, indie rock, of course. But the thing is that was pretty much since I've been out of high school, I've been, you know, I was touring with, with the Moldy Peaches after like a year or two. So I didn't go to, you know, I didn't have an education other, other than the one that I learned how to teach myself. So I kind of learned how to teach myself stuff. And that, I think that's sort of the, it's almost like when they describe that, uh, what is that kind of, the, uh, that school, um, uh, Montessori. Okay. I feel like I, I kind of gave myself my own Montessori education or right. something. Right. You're like an autodidact. Yeah, something like that. You know? yeah. But you know, the, the way I do it is I get interested in something like, um, let's just say like Cy Twombly or something. I like Cy Twombly. So I read a book about Cy Twombly. Then uh, I'll take a bunch of notes about all the paintings, all the references in the paintings, because there's a lot of words. Um, so then like from those paintings, I'll have all these different strings of thought, uh, references, and I'll research each one. And then, like, you know, maybe I'll read a book about that one sentence or I'll just go through it. And then by the end of it, I'll know, like, about the history of Rome because of my connection to his painting. So I just branch off that thing. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and same with the reason why I know about perfume is only because I was interested in a tangential anecdote about David Bowie. That, you right. know what I mean? But that I connected all my knowledge to that one anecdote. Right. But what was the thing when it came to music and the initial spark with music? What was the what was the hook? Uh, Nirvana and uh, Beck. Yeah. Uh, th- that was probably my biggest things. And you were probably just like you probably saw Loser on MTV or something, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I th- I remember people telling me about Beck or. Not understanding because you would have been just like in your early teens or something, right? Yeah, it was it was just something that. I, you know, I heard it through a friend, and then um, for whatever reason, I, I can't remember. I think I, I really got into that album, One Foot in the Grave, right. um, which was kind of like showed me about from there, kind of got to uh, traditional American folk music. Like, I kind of started to see that there was these references to old folk songs on that record. Right. Then I'd like, you know, research that and get to like Mississippi John Hurt or right. kind of o- older Skip James, I think, is reference on that. Older things, I think Robert Johnson. Yeah. But then uh, from there, uh, you know, it was honestly for me, Beck was a multiple thing because he he kept on like progressing as an artist. I mean, Kurt Cobain, you know, had had, had died, so he wasn't really like a working artist. Yeah. Um, but but uh, from there, like I got to see like when he made uh, Mutations, which was, I think I was right when I was yeah. right when I left high school. But the Beck thing was more the was more of a thing where you started to see. Music is something you might do through, through sure, appreciating. Yeah. yeah, it was through, through like, probably hearing his music was my own decision to become an artist. Right. Because and so did you go get a guitar or what? what? I had some friends in, in uh, middle school, and they played guitar, and they had a guitar, and, like, you know, I was just messing around playing with, like, one finger. and uh, Like a slide. Yeah, but yeah. Su- super determined to somehow even write, like, a song with one finger. Did my, you write a song with I did. Uh, it was it was pretty bad. Something about <laughs> incestuous grandparents or something. But it was uh <laughs> sounds it, about Yeah, it was pretty sounds good. Adam Greeny. Um but like uh but I was doing it uh with one finger and, and my friends had a band called Death Chickens. That was their joke band. But I was so enthusiastic to start a band that I like kind of co-opted this band. You know and, and my enthusiasm like was more than theirs. Right. To the point where like my whole life was about our band Death Chickens that I was never even in. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like making shirts. <laughs> they're like Adam. Yeah, they're like, you're not, not even real. in the band. Yeah. It's, it's not real. Well, that's um, like, I feel like people have said, because I didn't, you know, I, I, I played piano as a kid, and it, but it wasn't like I was never going to join a band. Like, at, you know, in high school, it was never a thing that, that might have happened. So I can't relate to this, but... It is interesting how people tell me, like, your first band like that, it's more like just, uh, it's just like a thing you make up that's not real. And yeah. it's like an excuse to, you just call, it's like a name for your peer group. It's not like a real band. Yeah, it's like something to draw on the paper when your English teacher's talking, you know? 
have to make up a logo. Death chickens. Yeah, death chickens, like, you know, all this stuff. Like, I think the logo was something like the dead Kennedys, but it was just a D and a C. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there was no songs or oh anything. My God. Um, but anyways, uh, but, but so then, but then from that, you know, my next band was, was the Moldy Peaches. Yeah, and Kimia was, was a year, is older than you, and she... Was she your babysitter, or is that sort of an exaggeration? Uh, yeah, it's, an, it's a bit of an embellishment. It's not totally untrue. I mean, right. Kimya is a lot older than me. People don't realize because she's like looks so young, but she's uh, nine years older than me. Okay. So when I was maybe like twelve years old, and I met Kimya, she was twenty-one. Right. You know, um, now she's like Kimya's like her parents owned a daycare center, and she grew up around kids, so she's she kind of just knows how to hang with a kid. Yeah. And uh, she was working at a record store. I think I was a little older than 12. You know, maybe I was like, it was my first job. I was like a pizza. Okay, so probably 14 or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. So so she's uh, she was working at the record store, and I was working at the pizza as like a wiped-down um, table boy. <laughs> and I and, and I, I actually, I met her at the art center because we, she was like reading her poetry at this open mic, and I was playing guitar. And so I came into the record store, and she's like, oh, are you that, are you that kid that was at the, at the open mic? Yeah. Um. I mean, this open mic, by the way, was like a sad goth girl poetry night. Like it was, I mean, it was like, I was like the only, I was probably the only, like the only boy at the poetry reading. Yeah. Um, but I was playing, um, I was playing these uh, sad songs I wrote. Right. Um, and. Um, Not for death chickens. And, and, and Kimmy was reading some sad, sad poetry that she wrote. Right. You know what I mean? It was all, it was all very sad. Yeah. <laughs> It's sad on every imaginable level. So, Picture it sad. But but you know, but so so I remember like I'd have a lunch break and I used to I used to bring um you know like those like kind of China markers, like you know they call them China markers, they're like these sort of like grease pencils that mm. uh, I think you can write on glass with them. Oh yeah, okay. Like that was like I just remember having that pencil and it had like a little string and you could like pull the string and make the point longer. Right. Um and so I had like one of those yellow legal pads. I would bring it over and we would like with this kind of cram, like write these songs, uh, and and I would sit on um like a a milk crate at the record store because they kept their records in milk crates, right? And you know what I mean, and like uh pl- and yeah, we just sit there and play, try to write songs, and we we wrote a few, and yeah. uh, then it was like oh, you know I have a four track at my house. Do you you know do you want to record them? And so Kimia like would come over to my house. And, uh, you know, my parents are like, oh, you know, you, you made this friend. Right. You know, she's like a lot older. Right. You know, she drove a car. Right. Um, and we started to record and, you know, and Kimmy was writing, had like a little diary and I was like, kind of would encourage her to, you know, make up stuff over guitar. And we just started kind of like making this game in, in the basement where we could like, you know, basically each have a piece of paper and try to write lyrics. She, without she even... had, so she hadn't been doing all that much more. Uh, like attempts at songwriting before that than you had either. She was still kind of new to. She yeah, still I, I don't think that she had written songs. To, yeah, right, like right. I think that we just sort of like we started writing songs as a sort of like an activity. We wouldn't even really show each other like what we were working on. We would just both write, and then we would like you know, like when it came time, then we like each sing. So how long were you doing that before it started to feel like okay, wait, we're a band and we should just play shows and stuff. Oh, like a really long time, right? Yeah, because like the, pretty much the the Moldy Peaches is is like my band throughout all of high school. But it's it's kind of like Death Chickens, where like no one really knows <laughs> that it's a band. Like we don't. It's not like we played shows, right? Oh, and, and oh, okay. In regards to what you said about Kimmy being a babysitter, she was because you know as as I was growing older, um, you know we we'd be like, oh, you know, the makeup are playing a concert at Irving Plaza with like Dub Narcotic Sound System, or like. Damn. Whatever you know, Good like all, yeah, all, all these different things you know. Whatever who, I don't remember who, who we were seeing, you know, yeah. Unwound, uh, maybe like Sebado, like all, all different kinds of bands were playing, and uh, I was still a little little young to go into the East Village by yeah. myself. So all my parents the were, they'd be like, Kim, you know, like please take Adam, and like here's the tickets, like here's the money for the tickets, and like here's your train fare. Like you know, she was like my chaperone, you know. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, they were like they were really like uh, so so in a way, you know, she was sort of a babysitter, but. And she was probably a little more able to, to, you know, in the relationship, turn you on to the the artists like that, you know, or was or was it a sort of because she was working at the record store? Yeah, right? oh so yeah, yeah. Well, she knew some of these people. I mean, because she lived in Olympia. So, so and, but when did you start wanting to play shows and having and starting to feel like doing music was a thing to devote more time to? 
I kind of heard about that folk singers played open mics and that they hung out at coffee houses and stuff. Like, I, you know, you hear about <laughs> You hear this, about that. Yeah. You hear about it. Like, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and, and uh, I mean, those, those kind of places are probably where I did learn how to perform for people. You yeah. know, I mean, like, there was a, Kimia had been going to Evergreen College mm. in Washington. So she lived in, uh, she knew, she had like a life out there. And so she was, she moved to this town called Port Townsend, which is like a, like kind of hippie town mm. and uh she had a house so she was like oh you know and i wanted to escape new york and so i uh i basically i took a like a bus a greyhound bus to to washington state which is like a really long journey to join kimia and uh yeah we lived in a house together um and that was my first time that was after living you alone. were done with school yeah, yeah. I, I was just like i didn't know anything about living alone i mean you know there i was like i was like the subject of ridicule because like i didn't know how to like plunge a toilet or like cook myself spaghetti or into anything i was just like a little kid that like you know i mean basically the only thing i knew how to do was you know use this four track right yeah but <laughs> i mean what who what 18 year olds don't know how to do shit anyway yeah you know yeah, like yeah. really like until you've been out on your own exactly yeah it just i just didn't know i didn't live in a place and you know i never like written a check or done had anything. you ever gone on a trip that long before that bus trip like uh on your own yeah for some reason i made this tradition of keep i kept on going across the country in these uh in these in these trips i, I did that that voyage like maybe like maybe like six times like you know i kept on going back and forth wow um it, it, it was i, I liked it because i would like how many days does it take it takes about three days okay that's not so bad uh yeah it's it's i, I thought it was fun yeah um you know you get to see america too i, I hadn't seen the country so for me it was like holy shit i'm in uh can I swear? I don't know. Yeah, Holy crap. Holy cow. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in uh, Iowa. Right. You know, I'm in North Dakota. Right. You know, these were really interesting things like Wyoming. Like I, I got to see all this stuff on the bus. Um, you know, you meet crazy people, you know, really, 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 really twist. Yeah. Like you wake up and people are like playing with your hair or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a, you know, it's a mess. Yeah. Um, you know, or like whatever, someone confesses that they're like a runaway criminal or something, you know, or like, you're like, okay. Um, you know, the, every six hours or so, your your seatmate changes, so you get like to meet a million people. It's and like then speed you, dating. and then when you were out there um, in Washington, you guys would be working on music, or yeah, we were working on music. Uh, you know, just uh, we 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 oh that was that was probably when we first played our 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 shows. Right. I think it was a there's a there was a coffee shop called the Boiler Room, and they had us play a concert, and we also played the American Legion Hall. Uh, with Dub Narcotic Sound System, that was like at K Records, you know, the yeah. founders of K Records. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was it. But that was it. You know, then, then um, I got homesick and felt like lost and went back to New York. And luckily, I found uh, my way to the Sidewalk Cafe. Right. Which, uh, which I did because I was playing uh, the subways, and somebody was like, "Oh, you know, there's this open mic at Sidewalk Cafe," and uh, and uh, they said there was there was a, a, a folk uh, right. scene. That was, um, I, I called Kimmy and told her, there's this amazing scene going on in New York. And, you know, there's this open mic and, like, everyone is, you know, really, really cool. Like, and, you know, uh, people are writing these amazing songs. And, you, you know, you got to come. And she, that was, like, all she needed to hear. She was, like, looking for an excuse to come back home. So she, they, they actually got a van and they colored it peach colored. And all, the whole Moldy Peaches band, which by that time had like a, we had like a guitarist and a drummer, and right. they all came across the country in a peach-colored van. Right. And then we played our first band uh, show at Sidewalk Cafe. Right. Um, and so is that the same? Did personnel change, or is it? No, yeah, that was that was a different personnel. That was a, that yeah. was an original Moldy Peaches lineup. That lineup of the band ended up going back to uh, to Washington. Right. Uh, you know, um, and uh, just Kimia stayed because she's she, she has like roots. And how did so then? How did you guys link up with Jack and Mertens and Toby and stuff? Uh, I think it was just through same thing through Sidewalk Cafe. Right. Like you know, we we met. Um, Jack was uh, in a in a play called Thunderwear. Do you know about this play? No. So there's a play called Thunderwear that was written by Seth Hebert from Doofus. Okay. He's like incredible um, musician, like uh, almost like I mean, because people kind of compare him at the time to like Frank Zappa or something, but mm-hmm. he's just this super original songwriter um, that like. Uh, you know, he wrote this 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 massive musical called Thunderwear, and it involved this huge amount of improvisation. Mm. And Jack Dishel was like, 
you know, right. like a How shining, like a shining star of this play. Yeah, and friends. he, he would, he would like, he would perform, uh, they, they did it at this, uh, kind of punk venue called Surf Reality. And Jack Dishel was like, you know, improvising every night and they had these like, uh, amazing songs and, um, and every, and every night was different. So you like, you know, keep on going to see it. And I mean, honestly, it was the most ambitious, like artwork that I'd ever seen in my life. You know, yeah. that was by someone my own age. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like of that my, met, yeah. yeah. And, um, just like blew blew me apart. It wow. blew apart my mind. Blew apart my mind. And so yeah, so so I met Jack, and then we met uh, Toby. Um, who else? Brent Cole and mm-hmm. Stephen Mertens. Everyone I think through. It was a, a huge amount of people that had gone to SUNY Purchase, like college, mm-hmm. that had ended up at yeah, great at, art scene. Yeah, because Toby Purchase. went to SUNY Purchase, right. and Jeffrey Lewis went there, and Regina Spector, right. Jack, Seth had gone there. Um, right. it, it's unbelievable the amount of people who went to SUNY Purchase. Would you say that the demeanor that you have on stage now um, is the same? Like, have you always sort of, has your uh, stage kind of, your physicality, <laughs> the way you present on stage, has it sort of, is it the same as it's ever been, sort of, or did you have to kind of find a way to be yourself for a while first? Well, you know, like, I think that, you know, I have anxieties in life, but for some reason when I actually get on stage and perform for people I don't feel that nervous about it yeah you know what I mean like I just kind of think oh it's gonna go fine or something like I, I don't think about it yeah you know what I mean and like um but before the show sometimes I do like I'm like oh man what if like what's gonna happen to me like what it's you know what whatever they would what, I make a fool of myself and then you know and then uh when it ends up happening it's like oh that was fine I don't I guess once I'm actually out there it's like whatever yeah but um so yeah so I I, I do think that uh that you know that you have to learn a little bit like i mean because probably if you add up all the shows that i played it's maybe like a thousand concerts or something yeah you know what i mean so like uh in that sense like you, you but learn i mean a lot. even I mean, right but i mean even like well first time i ever saw moldy peaches was opening for the strokes at mercury lounge right in 2000 early 2001 probably you were wearing the robin hood or or sailor sailor, sailor. kimia had a costume as and well bunny? yes Rather. And I, you know, genuinely had the thought, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Which was followed very quickly by the thought, I fucking love this. <laughs> <laughs> but just like you as a kid, like you would have been maybe, what, 18 or yeah. something at that point. It was just like Yeah, this... it wouldn't have been allowed in, in, in the bar. Just You just don't see that many kids that age who have that much of a confident sense of their own what kind of weirdo they are at 18 right, like right. most 18 year olds are, are just sort of like trying to trying so hard to be cool and you were not trying to be cool at all <laughs> <laughs> and that's how i guess you know yeah, it's like, that's yeah. how you end up being cool or whatever well, you know it's funny are i guess you, I, mean, I, guess you know, I, want, like, I always yeah. have like a big diary i always have like a big diary you know what I mean? like mm-hmm. a kind of a i don't know how to explain it like it's like a almost like a lot of writing like and i do um i just write like i write all the time, you know, I write like, I write a sentence every hour or two. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I have, I have like an endless <laughs> Holy supply of, of stuff that I'm writing. You know what I mean? And I'm just in that process with myself. That I think that's there's a certain amount of introspection involved in it. So like, since I've been pretty young, like I've been kind of like, kind of I don't know what you call it, having a little conversation with myself about like what I'm really thinking. And you know what I mean? And and in that sense, like. A lot of that kind of you kind of try to pull it out, and then you kind of look at it, and so in, in that way, I was kind of like a little bit uh, introspective. I was yeah, I was introspective since I've been pretty young. Mm. Um, wow! So this kind of set, you know, so it's a sentence that pops into your. It's a you like it's the word you like the sound of the words, the feel of the words, something about that sentence. You want to keep it, and you write it down immediately. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, if you look at like uh, I'll show you. Oh, wait, we can yeah. Hold on. Oh, can we can we go over here? Yeah, we can. Okay, here we have a mobile recording recording <laughs> yeah. unit. Okay, so like this documentary style. So this is like these are stuff that that I, that I would write, you know. And so I just have you know lines. Wow. You know what I mean? And um Holy shit. So this is a bound book and how and so this is the result of how much how much time does this document have, like do you think months and months of ideas? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just sentences, you know, stuff I write down. That kind of repository of stuff is that is that is that just sort of the file for whether it's a graphic novel kind of thing or a, or a song or 
do you go to that same place? Yeah, I would go for to all for, of I would it. go to for everything. It, it basically there's like a hole in my brain, and it goes into these sentences, and then that's that's my scroll, and I wow. and that's I have just a body of writing, and and it's all I everything comes from it. The thing is that like once it's time for me to edit it, then I have like an editor self that okay. goes and like, and then I, I it's kind of like being at a feast, and I like take all these different things and I try to like. You know, make them relate to perfect the, plate. I, I, yeah, I make I make them relate to the themes of the thing that I'm thinking about. You know, like um, uh, so like if I have a scene about, you know, like uh, like someone rebellious talking to their father. You know, like I find like rebellious dialogue, and I find like, you know, uh, paternal dialogue or something, and I try to like, wow. I, I I try to like take those different aspects of my personality. I find the person that does that and that, and then I have them like fight against each other. Wow. You know what I mean? Or like. You know, um, so there's an editor me that, but the editor me doesn't even really respects the writer me. Like the the editor is like the writer knew what he was doing. Like you know what I mean. Like I, I always I always feel like the the editor part is like doesn't want to change what the writer said. Just wants to find like rather than that I'd like probably find a different line. Like I assume that the writer wrote things exactly mm, like how it should be. Mm. And so has it been like that since you start? I mean, obviously you've described sort of how you and Kimia would collaborate separately and together and stuff like that but is this kind of the process you've been using on your solo music ever since whatever garfield the first album or uh yeah well you know that and also i just do a method where i'll walk around and sing like i just i just literally like make up the words as i'm singing you know which is probably the best way to write a song is you just start you basically start making up words you make up language it's almost like you take a you try to um, like let like a wave of a feeling like guide and a uh, emotion. You, you you let the emotion guide the words into a melody, or you let the melody guide the emotion guide the melody into words. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know how to explain it. You try to like mm-hmm. ride it until it like makes you know. And then I assume that whatever gets caught up in that tornado uh, is um, part of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the thing is that it's actually. I mean, for for better or worse, like I kind of feel like people are kind of like landscapes inside, or they're like, there's like a kind of a, like I think that's kind of what abstract painting is, is like somebody's just trying to show you like the shape of the landscape that's inside of them. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's kind of like, for me, it's like there's just so many so many things that I'm obsessed with that I think about. Like they keep on repeating. Like they've I've been having the same thoughts since I've been like 12 years old, and I just have like more nuanced versions of it. But I think they're basically like it's all I'm just stuck with the same landscape and it's just like i keep on having to like rehash it and i'm like engines again dancing again you know what i mean like and i have like i have like thousands of sentences oh that gosh. have the word well, engine in go, it yeah, or dancing when you go through that book or you time must, or it's yeah, like it must make you really hyper aware of the recurring thoughts when you have those phrases down on a page like, well, it's kind of like, so if you have like if you have like if you have like a like like a modulating um uh like a like a lock and you know, I mean, you just keep on changing the, the one of the numbers. Right. I feel like that's what I'm doing a lot is I just modulate the different words together until I find a combination that like unlocks a feeling to me, like it transports me. Yeah. And so it's almost like for me, I'm just looking for stuff that takes me to like another dimension. Like I don't know what another dimension means, and I'm not saying it's another dimension, but I'm just saying like yeah, we as is, people. Yeah, that's what music is—is is another dimension, though. I think ultimately, so. it's a it's not that it, you can't it's not really in the same realm as other forms of communication. It requires so much more from the recipient right but but also i'm always intrigued by not just the words side of things but like you know if you listen to artists you hear whatever is like a melody that they can't resist or it's like this series of notes that must feel really good to sing for them because in their catalog you 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 hear it pop and I'm, i'm always intrigued about that where i'm just like uh, the first time, what it must have felt like the first time your voice found that three-note sequence yeah, that you yeah, love yeah. so much. It must have felt so good, or there's something so right about that sequence for your body that yeah, you can't yeah, that resist is, it. Yeah, exactly, and, that, and that, that anything that you can't resist becomes like the remnant that like the water imprint made from the cliff or whatever. Like it becomes the erosion that you can't get rid of. You know, yeah. you, like, you, you, you like have to keep it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and actually, I think it has something to do with like a hypnosis, like. Um, you know, because people, I think, you know, are walking around in it, like a hypnotized state, largely. Like, you know, you're kind of like you walk to work and you don't um, think about it. You just end up at work. You don't, you know, it's because you're basically hypnotized or something. But um, I think that for 
when I'm trying to actually make the lines up in my songs, I'm trying to give people like a a feeling of going out of the hypnotized state for that one for those particular lines. So I like so the other dimension for me is just only the unhypnotized state that I'm trying to show you what I feel like it feels like to not be hypnotized. Right. So I'm basically always chasing after unhypnotized language. And then from that, um, using it as a song, it's like an incantation or something. So it becomes like a magic spell. So then if you take all the unhypnotized text and then you say it to somebody while having them like hypnotized by the song, you're basically performing like some kind of emotional surgery on their soul that's unconscious. And so at the end of it, even though like maybe like they don't realize it, you have like done a little bit of like um, chiropractic work on, on their spirit. You know, wow, yeah. I mean, if they let you in, I guess. Right. I'm intrigued thinking about your songs and the evolution of your songwriting. Whether you feel like when you were younger, you used that opportunity more to shock might be the wrong word, but to unsettle or unnerve right. or or yeah, be you know, kind of crazier versus now, it feels like listening to your songs now and you're older and more mature and you have a family and stuff, but it's more an opportunity for a more relatable chiropractic hypnotherapy. Right, right, right. right. Is that something that you're, I mean, do you feel like you've moved toward in the way that is still true to you, more personal uh, derived songwriting than, you know, just sort of this weird other world of things you're writing about? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I think they're always personal. I mean, like, I think that the the actual method has always been kind of the same, where I've been, like, basically trying to make, um, uh, you know, like, take a kind of symbolic vocabulary that's sort of been somehow, like, infused in, in my being and sort of trying to, like, exercise it. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, um, for some reason, it seemed so, like, important uh, to have it be, like, super explicit. And, uh, but you know, maybe that just comes from that, that age and being that age, you know, like where, you know, like, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're, you know, if you want to describe something more nihilistic or like kind of punk, I mean, like, you know, like fucking 40 year olds don't, they don't invent punk. You know what I mean? Like they don't, that's not like an idea of a, you know what I mean? Like it's like something like a kid does, you know what I mean? And when I was a kid, just like, I was like a little twerp, like everyone else. I was talking with this about, uh, sorry, about this with uh, Jack Dishel, mm. you know, and um, a, a lot of that stuff at that time, like some, certain kinds of uh, gestures, I feel like, um, or like I felt, I felt like I wanted, pe- I wanted to kind of like force people to meet me on my own terms. Mm-hmm. So like part of, in a way, like almost testing or like hazing an audience till mm-hmm. they'll like, you know, truly like meet you on your terms because you're like, for some reason, like um, uh, you know, punishing people. So that they can learn the correct way to to love you, <laughs> very much like daring people to, to dismiss it. It's funny because uh, even though like a lot of my work is very private and like you know I work pretty much uncensored and I work from my own brain as just like a hole in my brain that I just try to pour out. You know what I mean? Like it's actually something I do in collaboration with the world. I mean like a huge part of it is a collaboration I do with my wife. You know like she, you know she goes through all, all my writing with me and like we you know make up stuff. Like we oh, wrote awesome. we wrote. Um, this comic book together that's coming out, the War in War in Paradise. We wrote the storyline together, um, or you know, she uh, helped me to edit um, like like Aladdin in the mm. movie, and uh, she produced it with me. You know, so a lot of it is very, it's actually pretty collaborative. But you know, just amongst my friends mostly, you know, right? Like well, I, then that's also that people who know how your brain works who can help with clarity and, instead of trying to change it. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, friends of who, like, or I trust or something, you know, they'll just, like, read stuff and be like, this is cool, this sucks, or whatever, and, you know, I just trust them. I, I yeah. I'm not that precious about it, usually. If I find myself being precious about it, I'm like, oh, this must be really important to me. I, I must keep it. Yeah. Mainly, I'm just like, oh, you know, I'll just, like, I don't know. But, um, so it is, it is not just for me. I mean, or, like, I don't know. It's my relationship with, with the world, you know, as much as, like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it's, my main activity it's like i basically feel like i'm the collector of my own art or something you know like i'm like i'm the audience of my own music like you know what i mean like yeah but it's i guess yeah i mean i guess you you know you probably long ago if it ever conspicuously entered your mind to worry about that reminded yourself that as an artist you can't that can't be part of the equation i mean i remember watching the wrong ferrari and thinking 
as someone who had already known you a long time at that point. Right. Like, yes, if you want to look inside Adam's brain, that's what, at that era at least, that's what I think the inside of it looks like. And it may you may not get it at all if you haven't don't have any inkling about right, Adam. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, no. I mean, it's the same thing as... I feel like Beck would probably say that One Foot in the Grave was as much of, like, something that seemed like just a weird look at his brain. Right, right. And yet, it was an album that inspired you tremendously, so... Yeah, and and Mutations. Right. For for me, Mutations was the moment where I heard it, and I was like, oh, I have to get a notebook right now and write down everything in my brain. Like, that was, like, the moment for me, because it just seemed like such a um, masterpiece, like... That I, you know what I mean, and, and I, I didn't know that people were like making masterpieces at that point in time. Yeah. Like I was like, wow, this, you know, like this is like a, like a really bold statement from this sort of like it's almost like this diamond this person's made, and like I have to, you know, it, it felt like somebody was made like a David Bowie album or a Bob Dylan album, but like they were just just made it, like it was just came out today. You know what I mean? And and so so I, like I it was my that was kind of my like I have to get moving and yeah. get going, you know, as an artist with that with that record probably. Yeah, but right. now nowadays, now that you have you've developed all these other outlets, visual arts and films and whatever, it, you know, in these same several years as you haven't been putting out like traditional Adam Green album until this new one, it must now feel like when you have weird ideas pop into your brain, like there's a you can actually execute things besides albums. It's yeah, kind of freeing. Well, that's kind of like being a grown up, right? It's like I feel like when you're a kid, like you know, like uh, let's say you like you take uh, acid when you're 14 or something, you know, and then like you actually can't really do anything with that information. Like you might get like a a huge vision, but you don't necessarily know what to do. But like then maybe if you're 30 and you take acid and you have like an idea about building a geodesic dome, you can like build it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's kind of just about growing older and you just like, you know, yeah, you have these kind of visions and then you, for some reason you actually are like, okay, well, if I really want to do it, I'll learn about architecture and I'll learn about, how to do this. Um, so that's kind of, I think, as I got older, I just, it's the same, maybe I had some of the same kind of ideas that I had when I was younger. I just now had the patience to, to execute them. Right. Yeah. And I would imagine that being kind of, yeah, being... Well, even with the iPhone movie, like Wrong Ferrari right. is an iPhone movie, right? I mean, so, like, I think that that's just something that I did when I was, I guess, right when I was turning 30, you know, but... Uh, just like I think that that's just about discipline like to like why would you take a bunch of iPhone footage and spend like whatever you know a good part of a year editing into a feature film you know what I mean it's just because like that's just like something I wouldn't have been able to do when I was 19 or something you know right well or build an entire set of paper mache right right yeah and do a wild recreation <laughs> interpretation <laughs> yeah. of Aladdin for that like, well, yeah and I had a lot of help with that so now that you're in the mode of getting ready to put out an album and obviously it's exciting to have this album coming out originally I know like a year ago it was an EP and it's great that, yeah. that you recorded more but now you're having to put your brain back into that kind of like more organized album cycle mode or whatever yeah um are you are there are you starting to the re- repository of uh, next things to execute once you get out of that mode is that yeah well I, already usually I'm I'm knees deep in something else by the time this stuff happens like and in this case I've spent the last like nine months or writing up really uh, like an epic poem about the medieval times that's wow. like it's been like uh, I'm I'm really like I got to say I think I could it could spend another six months on it because it's it's really like uh, it's just coming together, but nice. but it's it's really really cool. It's a very and if if you ever want to stop a conversation, you can say that you're writing a poem because pretty much that's the end of of all conversations. <laughs> and the people who you're who you're talking to and you tell them that you're writing a poem that they are they're always like, yeah, I'm never going to read that. <laughs> well, an but, epic but poem implies a greater workload. It's it's a really 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 um you know um it's a really cool poem that I'm working on. Um, but, but yes, I've been working on that for a long time. And so, you know, that's something I want to do. Um, I wanted to make like a Ninja Turtles movie, but it's, it's really like taking a backseat. Um, right. uh, I don't know if you can make your own Ninja Turtles, but I was, I'd like to, um, with, with made with real turtles, (laughs) (laughs) um, 100% real turtles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it would be, uh, it was well, you know, the Ninja Turtle story is kind of about subculture. Like, I mean, I guess I feel like I'm part of a. Where I guess I grew up as part of a subculture. Like, I, 
I feel like the work I do is subcultural. Like, I mean, that's like actually what's funny is like when I think about who like would listen to my music, I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody who's really into subculture or something. But it's like, <laughs> but it's funny that feeling is like really remains. Um, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a subculture of one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's being that's being modest to a to highly disparaging degree. But I think it's but I but yes, you are part. You are a subculture. You are a subcultural hero or that kind of thing. I think it's like cool though. In a moment when this year, you know, fantastic albums by people like Bill Callahan and David Berman more recently. Yeah have been you know have been in the in the sort of critical dialogue of like you know new new music as a reminder that yeah i saw that uh, berman's album was charting in the top 20 of amazon which is incredible because like oh, wow. I, yeah like i didn't even know that stuff as i was like allowed entry into the law like the law of of the world anymore. It just, but it also just goes to show that like the long tail of your influence when you are operating in the sub proudly in the subculture is it's such a long uh, the arc through time of like you know right right people right people who for whom your music might have been their Beck's mutations like it's you can't see that from your vantage point nor should you because the things that you're making are part of what's great about them is that they're separate from the kind of audience that may influence them. Right. I mean, it must right. have been weird during that era when, like, th- when, like, you know, when you're touring with the Strokes and they're fucking massive and you're playing weird-ass music that's, like, definitely not going to be commercially like that. Right. But to still have a lot of attention and ass-kissing happening because you're, like, the ba- you know, because you're, right, like, right. on tour with the Strokes or whatever. I guess I'm curious from the realm of, like, <laughs> from the realm of like the mainstream culture and what an artist needs to do to be successful in the mainstream did you derive any important lessons that even in in your unique way you apply to the albums you make or the shows that you put on like um you like you mean from um like what did you learn what have you learned from even just the from touring even just from the strokes oh well like i mean so much i mean basically like you know way like I guess we, we, I was kind of mentored by them or something like, or is that the word? Yeah. Mentored. Yeah. They, because, uh, because they were such uh, am, ambitious uh, musicians, you know what I mean? And so to see them perform, I mean, you know, be, before I was talking about Seth uh, Hebert's like Thunderwear, which is like one of the most ambitious art projects I've ever, ever seen. And then to see the Strokes uh, and to, you know, to tour with them on their first, you know, tours, I was like, wow, this is actually like the most ambitious like rock band I've ever seen. That's like my age. And, you know, I, I kind of, kind of like got to see how, how they did it and just kind of informed my idea of like how to apply discipline to to a creative endeavor yeah. um you know what i mean and uh just in, in like lots of ways just in, in every way it, it like had a huge effect on me um also i think i think also you know what i think also like waking me up as far as like you know like this sort of idea of like the mask becoming the face or something like you know you kind of like have a mask and then you wear it and to the point where it becomes a face and I, in the, with the strokes it's like i got to see sort of like them start off as like kids and then like just end up just being legitimately like a uh, rock heroes or something and um i think uh you know maybe like even stuff like that i listened to at the time um like uh the doors or like rolling stones or like scott walker or stuff that i thought you know i, I was like oh well, you know that that seems like that's from another another world I started to actually like try to, you know, feel, I, it made me feel more comfortable to try to incorporate those influences into my into my own artwork and be like, okay, well, you know, I can, it doesn't matter, like fake it till I make it. Like I'm Sinatra tonight, you know what I mean? Like I'll yeah. be like Frank Sinatra at this place and just like, you know what I mean? I'll just try it. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And it, and then you fake it so much that at one point you like forget that you're faking it and you're just like, you just do it. And then it just becomes who you are. And then you like, you, like years later and you're like some crooner guy. Like I don't even <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't remember like how it happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's ridiculous, but that's what the world is, you know. <laughs> oh my god! I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Time. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Look for Adam's new album, Engines of Paradise, along with the graphic novel War in Paradise in early September, and he's going to be on the road extensively throughout the rest of this year. Up next in episode 32 of LSQ, a conversation with Royal Trucks' Jennifer Harima. I recorded this earlier in the year, around when Royal Trucks put out a new album called White Stuff. It's really a great return from them. And they were supposed to go on tour, but it all got foiled due to a combination of factors. But in a way, things falling apart just feels very apt for the kind of awesome Royal Trucks have always been. And so although they did not do the tour they had planned, Jennifer does have some shows coming up with Ariel Pink, who remixed some songs from that new album, White Stuff, for an upcoming EP called Pink Stuff that also arrives on September 6th. One of the things that intrigues me is just the the instinctiveness of kind of what you do, and the and I'm intrigued thinking about returning to Royal Trucks and getting back into it. Whether like how you kind of retained your instinctiveness about it without overthinking it, because obviously distance can make one overthink what something should be. Well, yeah, but yeah, this it's interesting. Because I feel like Royal Trucks was was never Neil and I like you know you know meeting each other you know when I I was fifteen he was nineteen like we were together all our lives but we never were one person like I guess I mean having grown up in the city I like I you know I feel like I'm a hundred years old like I'm like I mean it's bad in a way like I kind of try to. I want to see everything new again, you know. So I'm like, let me, like, let me yeah. smoke some more weed and yeah. check it out again. <laughs> like, yeah. But we really did like have our own. We came at things from a different place to begin with, and but then we brought it all together. But and then when we separated, we, you know, that was that. I think that was also part of why I needed to separate. Cause I didn't like at coming in at such a young. I didn't want to lose myself. Like, and I could see myself kind of like I was just like I gotta bust out. Yeah. Just, like, and in doing so, I think I retained a lot more of my like my you know myself, and I just did what I what I had been doing, but right. had been bringing to the collaborative effort. And, it, you know, Neil's such an amazing musician, just, um, and, you know, he's a great writer, but we do come from different places, completely different places. And um, I guess we're just so, we're so in tune because we met each other so young right. and we're with each other for so long. But I feel like that's, it, nothing really did change. Like, when I saw him for the first time, I think he walked right into this, like, we played down the block. Oh, really? That's where our reunion show was. I mean, how weird is that, too? <laughs> that's awesome. No, I mean, that was just an accident. Like, this, that's, we got, Neil called me and he's like, do you want to, do you want to do this? And I was like, like, completely shocked. Like, oh, really? Oh, really? I, <laughs> and, um, but it was really good money and he seemed really into it. And I was like, of course. Walked in the door and it was like I was standing in there and I, in our studio in Virginia, had a similar room like that with like a cathedral ceiling in there. It's kind of up. Right. It, it felt like, like, like I was just back in time. Like it was just really, it was great. I mean, it was great. You know, but we still have our, the same stuff that was going on, you know, when I went like separate way, you know, we still butt heads and stuff, but that's what always, we always did that. Like we don't, for a period of time, like everything was like when we were writing, it was just like there was just no fighting, no like it just kind of went on a roll, and then and then it just like you know it goes extreme. Like I was like he goes like he he goes silent, and then I'm like okay, well I'm gonna continue on. I'm not waiting here, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. It is interesting. I've noticed the way that I've never been in a band, but the right. way that people who've been in bands together kind of attachment that they have yeah. for each other that's yeah. dysfunctional often because there's so much shit there, so much history. Right. But it's like you just sort of realize you're stuck with the person. Well, the thing... The, the, in a way that's good and bad. Right, you know? exactly. But, you know, I didn't... Like, we were not, like, stuck... Like, 
it was 14 years before right. like there was any con i mean he wrote he did like an email like twice right. to tell me that like the cats died you know one died and then the other one died and then the, uh, then the last one died like like dirt like since we've been back together and then he didn't tell me about it <laughs> so i was just like yeah you know I mean, the motherfucker's weird it's mysterious uh, yeah i mean he's seriously he's very he's an eccentric motherfucker and i bet he would be like you know like you know people don't like to be called weird or this or that but he fucking is and, right and if he wants to say about me that's fine too but so just kind of learning the dynamics you know of like because like I said, we weren't the same person earlier on, but we did bring our own, you know. So it's like, oh, he would do that, and I would do that, and he would do that, and I would do that. Right. We played to our strengths, or whatever it was. Um, I don't even know if that's true, but that's what we did. That's right. how we parsed. <laughs> right. Um, but you learned what your strengths were in the context of having already met him, because that was the... Yeah. That that was you were so young you hadn't hadn't written a song before oh, that. Oh right? no, no, not at all. Yeah, I hadn't written any song. I mean, I just was like obsessed with music, you know. And yeah, I mean, he was an amazing guitar player. Like at nineteen, I was, like when I mean, that's how I met him. It was just accidental, and it wasn't meeting him, meeting him. It was actually seeing him play and saying, "Oh, like I've never seen anything like this weird game." Mm -hmm. Like and right, and I still <laughs> maybe he's always been as weird as he is now. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. So you were you grew up in the in DC, DC. or the suburbs of DC right. from Not the suburbs right. no. in actual DC, 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 like ghetto DC. But it all, I mean, I'm kind of stoked the way you know. My parents brought me up. I mean, they let me do whatever I wanted too. <laughs> right. And were, is either of them musical? Did either of them play music? They or? love music. My dad could he could sing. Um, he could sing. They just listened to a lot of music, and they like I was into music so young. Like I remember my first xylophone in Montessori school. <laughs> like I was just like, what? Uh, so they bought me like a two hundred dollar busted up piano for my um, eighth birthday. Oh, nice. uh, but I, you know, I've also got, I'm dyslexic and I also have eye-hand coordination stuff. So it was always like kind of like fresh, like I would play and I like, I remember my second recital, like I, I, I guess I was 10. And I like got on stage and I completely just just like was super nervous and then i just ad-libbed the whole thing i don't know what i was doing i mean i don't even i mean it was probably was horrible and i i mean it was kind of like being in a fugue state and i could not stand being on stage and then at like whenever in school like you know there's alice in wonderland they make you go and do this and they like i always got all these parts and i never really wanted to be in any of the plays like i guess I don't know, I guess there was a presence there, but I still today, like, I'm like, I don't, I'm not like a, I, I don't ever want to be a look at me type person. So I'm not a good front person. I'm really not. I, you know, so you feel different, but I wasn't like, I mean, I, I, I like, I like performing music. I don't like being stared at. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. So do you think that kind of not liking it that much is part of what helped build your well, presence? The kind of the way you occupy the stage is part of it is that you're like, like, kind of like. Well, yeah, I wanted, you know, I saw the residents when I was 15. I was like, I want to live my life in a big eyeball. Like, you know, like, I mean, how great would it be? And, but that's also theater. Like, like, I feel like. When I'm on stage, I do I do just become myself, but I, I'm aware of the fact that maybe that's not satisfying other people's needs, but it's satisfying mine. I need to go inward. Like, I try to put, put out word, but, like, when, when I'm listening, I leave me, it's kind of like, you know, like, like, that's why I wore shades for so long. I would just close my eyes so I could hear and then just, like, kind of get into it, you know, or just, like, or hide behind the hair. The hair, or just, or just kind of anything, just like so I could be just because I didn't, I didn't want like the art, you know, to be like 
hey, I'm presenting some, like, it, it never, I guess because being, plays always, that did freak me out. I didn't like right. to be in the plays. Like, Is it the contrivance of it? I guess so. I guess I'm, like, hyper aware, and I feel, like, super self-conscious, like, like, I mean, you know, it's like, I, I completely overthink it. Like, other people, like, like, like people are like, People think that's great when that, and I'm like, oh, that, oh, it's, it's all that. I, you know, I definitely sabotage myself a lot, but I'm aware of it. I'm like, oh, yep. <laughs> right, um, right. But that's like kind of like what always keeps, like, I'm always like, no, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do more. When do you, when did you start thinking of yourself as an artist? Like how long had you, had, did, was it before you started making music at all? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I I think it's not like, oh, I'm different. But I think that I knew that other people didn't behave the same way. I don't mean to repeat it. Um, that I did early on. Um, I just had like weird, lots of weird, like hangups. Like, you know, put me in a dress, I'll kill you, you know, but, you know, Pink is the only, I will not have anything other than pink. Like, like my mom had to make my fucking food pink when I was three. Like, she would, like, put pink, like, she would put jello, like, raspberry jello in the milk so I would drink my milk. Like, pink, I was upset, you know. Yeah. I kind of, I didn't know it at the time that these were weird. But, and that's why my parents sent me to Montessori school. And I, yeah, I guess I got, I had the OCD or whatever because mm. I drew pictures of Abraham Lincoln day in and day out i mean i think that there was a puzzle that my parents had done it was this puzzle of abraham lincoln so i i watched it become on the table yeah and then i was just obsessed obsessed and they're like okay so we need to take her in for some testing and <laughs> can you can you still draw abraham well, lincoln what can you still draw abraham i haven't drawn him in i bet you years. could i bet you would just i bet you yep. could just Fucking trance your and, way through it, and it was so great that that was the guy that I picked. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so you you felt like a weird kid. I, I did, but but my mom was always like, but everybody wants to be your friend, Every, you know. Like I always felt really, I did always feel a little like like strange. I mean, I played I played basketball, I played softball, I was on the swim team, I, like I I played soccer up until I was fifteen years old. I coached boys soccer after I met Neil, like, because those were places where I could interact with, with other, other people, which kind of made me, you know, like, I know that, it, especially, I was bused to a school that was in a house, and there was 10 people in my class, so. Oh, wow. No socialization, so to speak, you yeah, know. Um, damn. And I just, I just guess I always felt different, but not like, oh, I feel horrible or bad, but I was just like, it's kind of like, you know, you're, Oh well, I, I guess I'm just not like that, you know. And then you just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so did you start? So then, did you start going to shows? Like, how old yeah. were you when you started going to shows? And I where would where would you have got just like all ages shit? All the uh, the all the all ages shows. I started like my dad took me to my first all ages show, like right before I turned eleven, and he would just drop me off, and I went to shows. I mean, most any, like, even by the time I was 16, you know, you didn't have to have an ID to go into, like, the old 930 Club or the old DC Space or whatever. Mm -hmm. You just got a stamp. But there was certain, you know, a lot of those shows would, you know, start at 10 or whatever, you know, when you're in, like, eighth grade or so. But... The matinees, the Sunday matinees. Yeah. That was that's you know that's where God. I mean, I saw I saw Discord. I saw like you know they would come like anti nowhere league. I'm like like the like the British people like came over like and right. then I just saw so much. I mean, Bad Brains was my first. That was the first show I ever saw. And that was up in Adams Morgan. It was an all ages show. It wasn't at Madams Oregon, which was that was a, a bar place. It was at this basement of some kind of some church or whatever up in up in Northwest. Um 
That did was... you feel like when you got into that environment starting at like age 11 that as a kid who grew up feeling like I feel a little different did it seem like you uh, found no, your zone no, or you're no, just like no, no I, like I still felt really weird <laughs> no I did I did but I just liked it like I, re- I was really in I was really intrigued it's like yeah. I was really into it and I was like this is kind of uh, I don't know I just thought it was amazingly fascinating yeah like, and also yeah. just like I don't know that that kind of thing the Sunday punk matinee thing doesn't exist anymore but yeah. I, as far as I'm aware folks let me know if it still does somewhere um, but I feel like you know for people who end up becoming artists just to have access to, to some kind of punk rock thing some real punk rock thing so that you're not so that you're if you're only exposed to the commercial shit, then, well, then you're un- you're like you, then, know, you never get grounding in the sort of like the real way to do stuff. Yeah, you don't you don't know where it really came from before it got put in that producer's hands or that. Yeah, like, you know, because that shit, it, you know, it doesn't come, it doesn't doesn't come out of the the mic or the amp like you know like Britney Spears. It doesn't come out that amazingly wonderfully Pop, polished. Pop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned like pop things that you like, yeah. um, and I wonder though, what are are there some like young weirdos who've caught your attention lately? Who are some of the young weirdos whose music you've been uh, appreciative of in recent years? Unless they're weirdos on the radio, right. it's hard for me to know. And my yeah. husband actually knows a lot. Like that, he that's what he does. Like, but um, no, there's definitely some. I love I I love MGMT. I, yeah. I, I I I I mean I am when when those first two singles came out years back. I was like I, okay, see, I you know since Nickelback. I know this sounds weird, but there was not a like. I mean, this sounds fucked up, but really a strong radio single where you're like, oh fuck yeah, you yeah. know. Um, that's that's just like you know white boys with guitars and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's like you know different types but i i really i really appreciate them and you know i mean avalanches you know i love that shit yeah. you know and that's what I was, i'm writing a new song for them i was just oh, listening nice. to uh the the two tracks they sent me those guys are amazing yeah, and they're such lovely nice such dude, lovely yeah. people and but like i mean it that it's kind of the way they make music is the way that I make music in my brain. I just don't have the patience to even. It's it's you know like I'm I'm just slap that like. But I really appreciate what they you know. Yeah, oh my God. it's sort of like Rain Man for samples. Or yeah, something. it really is. I mean, <laughs> and listen, you no, know, there's God, what the fuck? I mean, there's bands. There's definitely. It's an MGMT is interesting because yeah. it's like, yeah, they had that those fucking bangers on the yeah. first album, yeah, 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 and then they like ran away from themselves or something. Well, well, and they, I appreciate their weird shit too. Yeah, I like that they were like, oh shit, we're, we got to get weirder. That was too easy, but well, they, yeah, no, the no, songs are such hits. Yeah, no, it's, it's like they've avoided doing that ever again. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they they avoided even be, being MGMT. Like it was like. Like, you know, their their parents were like, you should probably just do this, you motherfuckers. Wow. So, um, no, this guy, their head, they're too, they're also like kind of in their heads in, in, in a good way. Like they, they, you know, they grapple with some of the same types of things, you know. The um, self-sabotage thing yeah, at heart. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, some of the, the thinking people, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But there are some, I want to be the one that can do both. But maybe when I'm 90. <laughs> like, I don't know if, I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. I love the sound of Jennifer's bracelets jangling throughout that interview, you know? And that brings us to the end of episode 32 of LSQ. I'm Jenny LSQ. Massive thanks to Adam Green and Jennifer Harima for their time, and big thanks to you for pressing play. In the next couple of weeks, I've got a new episode with Laura Jane Grace, followed this fall by episodes with Stephen Malkmus and Phosphorescent and Chairlift's Caroline Polachek, among others. Please subscribe if you haven't done that already. And whenever you've got questions or feedback or ideas, you can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at JennyLSQ. LSQ.